Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith, Corks went into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Welcome to the score. Here's your host, Brett Weisman. Um. All right, well, <laughs> welcome to the score. <laughs> I'm not Brett Wiseman. I'm uh, his producer, Desmond Johnson, joined by the illustrious Christian Emery. Uh, Brett having some microphone issues. He'll be back on here uh, shortly. Today we have high school, uh, not high school, uh, Major League Baseball draft, re- or, excuse me, Major League Baseball trade deadline recap. Uh, if you were with us earlier this week, Brett and, uh, that well, Brett was a part of a, huge three-hour-long trade deadline show that went really, really well uh, with Larry Frank from Frankly Speaking Sports. Uh, we'll be getting to that today as well. Uh, training camp's going on all across the NFL. We'll touch on that a little bit, too. Um, and uh, a little bit more. Uh, looks like we got Brett back here. Let's check your sound. Brett, how you doing? Let's see. How do I sound now, there, guys? There, you sound much there better. There we go. That's better. Yeah. So, I'm uh, still, Des, as you said, uh, yeah, that special was fun. Um, it was still fun. That was actually that was really cool because we haven't done anything like that before. We did a uh uh bracket preview for the tournament uh for the NCAA. Yeah, back. but ne- never anything as things were breaking. So right, that was, nothing like that. Yeah. That was fun because I you know I was on Twitter, I had MLB network on in the background, I was you know looking left and right trying to break stuff. It, it cool, like and really, you guys really had cool. A lot of really good guests too from all over the country, analysts, play by play guys, uh it was just really good. It was loaded. So uh, shout out to you and shout out to Larry for that. That was a really good uh, show earlier in the week. Christian, I know Christian tuned in. He's a little confused like most Red Sox fans as to what exactly yep. the motive was uh, for them. We'll get to that in a second. But Juan Soto's a San Diego Padre. Raise your hand if you saw that coming. Correct. No one. Um, I... And Christian, I'll, I'll I'll get your thoughts on the on all this stuff in a minute. But as bummed out as I was that the Cardinals did not get him, after the fact, I wonder how much truthfully the Cardinals and the Dodgers both were in on Soto over the course of the last seventy-two hours leading up to the deadline. When it seemed like the Cardinals were the favorite, and then the Dodgers were the favorite, then the Dodgers were out, then the Cardinals were the favorite, and then the Cardinals weren't the favorite, then the Padres got the deal done. Apparently, the difference all along we thought was going to be Patrick Corbin being thrown into it. He's still a Washington National. In fact, it's Josh Bell. So, San Diego gets somebody better than the first baseman than they had, Eric Cosmer, who's now a Boston Red Sox. Uh, but... It begs the question to me how much, truthfully, really, were St. Louis and the Los Angeles Dodgers in on Juan Soto 
because if that was San Diego's offer, could it have been overpaid by either of the other two in the in the mix? Yes, without completely mortgaging the future? No, absolutely not. Christian, your fellow Christian, Vasquez, um, in one of the oddest, one of the oddities of the trade deadline, which is the guy that gets traded and switches clubhouses because the team he's been traded to is who his other team was supposed to play. Um, so that's weird. Um, I'll be at the two teams at the forefront of 2018 cheating scandals, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, you're not going to speak. You're not going to speak on that, are you? Nope. No, I'm good. Thank you. Good, good call. Good call. Um, I said this on the special. To me, it seems like Red Sox management, there's something they're trying to do, but I want to hear what you think first. You, you pretty much summed it up. I have no idea what they were trying to do. I'm I'm confused. I expected them to be as much of a seller as they were willing to be. Uh, sellers as much as they were willing to be. I did. I the Vasquez trade confused me. Don't get me wrong. I think I told you that via text or something like that as we were talking about uh, the stuff. Confused both of us, honestly. So. And then to go out and get Eric Hosmer, which I'm fine with. I told, I told you I'm fine with it. I like the move. But they're not I, – I don't know. I think they're just trying to – at this point, they know odds of them making the playoffs are uh, dwindling. I'll put it that way. Okay, well, AL- so, then, so then you ask yourself, why don't we just go full sell mode? Because you saw what the San Francisco Giants did, not – 25, 30 minutes after one, the Soto deal to the Padres was finalized, you saw the Giants' reports coming out that they were open for business, that Carlos Rodon was on the market. They dealt Darren Ruff to the Mets. Jock Peterson was available. Pretty much every half their roster was, was on the market because they were all on expiring contracts. That's how the Giants do things now. But So you ask yourself, why don't you go full sell mode? Because... The Giants saw their pecking order in the NL West and said, yeah, we got no shot. We might want to offload some assets here. The Red Sox, very well in that American League wild card, all three of those teams could be from that division. They could be you. It could be you, Toronto, and, and Tampa Bay. Or it could be you, Toronto, and Baltimore. Baltimore decided to sell off two pieces. That's also questionable. We'll get to that in a second. But what your front office is trying to do, Christian, is one of the most difficult things to do in any sport, but probably most difficult to do in baseball from a roster building perspective, which is when you play in a division like this, at the deadline, you're not a buyer, you're not a seller. You're not both or you're not one or the other. You're kind of, you're also not, hands off yeah what Boston's tried to do with this deadline is they've tried to emphasize still keep a competitive enough team on the field to win and make the postseason while still building somewhat for the future they're trying to strike that perfect balance and there's maybe a handful of teams ever in any sport let alone baseball that have done that yeah I can see that I mean they 
I mean, I don't know if you saw earlier today. It was either yesterday or today. They released uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, it's that's a difficult uh, strategy to try to get to try to find that balance. And given the complexities of Major League Baseball, just these that's probably the, it's probably the most unpredictable of any of the major sports in terms of what you're going to get day in and day out. Um, it's just it. Yeah, it's it's it it's difficult to try to like I said, it's difficult to try to find that balance. And did the Red Sox necessarily get better? No, I, but I, they also I, didn't yeah, get worse. Exactly. They, because the the thing we talked about was all right. Bogart's endeavors are probably gone. One yeah. or both of them are gone in free agency. It would behoove you to get something for them before they walk. Yeah. Uh, instead, you decide to hang on to both of them because management still believes there's a chance to make the postseason. But you still sell off a couple of fairly expendable pieces. The one that we all thought was going to get moved was Nady Avaldi. He did not. Uh, the story... <coughs> this was an evolving deadline. Yeah. And, a, and a wild one. A historic one at that. The Soto trade may end up being the biggest in the history of baseball simply because of the amount of capital in terms of prospects that the Nationals got back. They got exactly what they wanted. Um, you saw Alex's Mariners give up three of their top five prospects for Luis Castillo. And I said this on the special. The Mariners have not made the postseason since 2001. Some may ask why you would give up three of your top five prospects for someone who's just in the past year and a half or so in Cincinnati started to come into his own as their ace. He hasn't proven into the postseason yet. That's because he's played in Cincinnati. You may ask yourself, why sell the farm? The Mariners weren't done, by the way. They still went out and did more. They pretty much traded seven of their top ten prospects because the Mariners' mindset is, you don't hang banners for best farm system five years running. They haven't made the postseason since I was four years old. So that's 20, 21 years ago. It's a long time. Very long time. It's like Buffalo Billsian-esque playoff drought. Postseason drought. At this point, it's Buffalo Saber playoff trap but continue. Bu Buffalo in general all right <laughs> yeah poverty city anyways in terms of sports not no it's not what I'm saying nobody no nobody come at me about economics anyways um they're all in there's yeah. teams we saw that were all in um Seattle probably being the biggest one of them because not only did they go out and get they got their ace they improved a position that for them offensively has been Less than stellar at catcher, getting Kirk Casale from the San Francisco Giants, um, and they added some depth on the bench too. So, look, if we're if we're talking winners and losers, the Padres especially. Okay, you get Juan Soto, automatically you win the trade deadline. Okay, we knew that. Anybody yeah, who the team, the team that got him was going to win the deadline. Yeah, they're pro. I, when it comes to the Padres, I feel like they feel like they're in win now mode they have a window of the next maybe three to four years where they think they can make a run at at a world title will they i don't know because 
Major League Baseball's playoffs are a whole different animal than the regular season. Right. But, I mean... And they've now been expanded. So yeah, exactly. we have three wild cards now. But I think if I had to pick an American League and a National League winner, my American League winner's got to be Seattle. They got better in every sense of the word. The Yankees perplexed me a little bit. Um, they trade away one of their better starting pitchers. Thanks, by the way. Um, <laughs> for a, a center fielder from St. Louis who has not played a game since mid-May and may not play again until September, and they deal their number three starter for St. Louis, whose entire rotation was just number three starters before this week when they got Jose Quintana, who, by the way, last night went seven innings of one-run baseball, and unlike many other Cardinals pitchers this year, actually figured out how to throw a strike consistently and go longer than four innings. The Cardinals needed starting pitching desperately. Harrison Bader's been a key part of that team, but he's from New York. I'm He has a Statue of Liberty glove, okay? He's going to love playing there when he does. He hasn't played since mid-May with the foot thing. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. We're doing it winners and losers. Mariners, obviously, American League winner. Yankees, perplexing. Yeah. National League winner. C uh, San Diego, 100%. Loser, Milwaukee. Here's why. They got swept by the Pirates the last three days since the trade deadline. They lost, they, they had a three and a half game lead on St. Louis before six o'clock Tuesday. They traded Josh Hader about that time on Monday. They were swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates and now sit tied atop the NL Central with the St. Louis Cardinals. Guys in the clubhouse even said they didn't know why Josh Hader was traded and they were confused and they were a little bit upset by it. Josh Hader's the best closer in baseball right now, period. For some ungodly, unknown reason, he gets shipped to San Diego for the second best closer in the National League and a paperclip and a bag of string. Uh, I, I heard the reasoning be the Brewers didn't want to pay him. You had to... Okay. Why do it midseason? Yeah. I mean, especially if you're in the in the thick of a divisional race with, I guess, that you had a three-and-a-half game, like I said, a three-and-a-half game lead. I don't know. Base, uh, I, I don't know. It's We see this time we, throughout sports, you'll – Every year, there's one team in pretty much every league that makes that move of like, okay, that they make that head scratching move, right? In this, in this case, it's the them getting the Brewers getting rid of their uh, closer to San Diego or whoever you. They just swap. They swapped closers. They got San Diego's closer back and gave the closer job to Devin Williams, who's a fantastic reliever, but. Two of those three games, they got swept. He blew a save. The front office said, okay, we know that like we have two of the best relievers in baseball right here. We're going to get rid of one of them. Devin, you're the closer. Go get the job done. And he blew it two nights in a row against one of the five worst teams in baseball. As a result, these guys are now tied atop the division in a division where those two teams are the only ones that have any shred of a chance. 
it 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 boggles welcome me. Welcome to summer baseball. <laughs> no, welcome to Milwaukee baseball because they're not. That's this it. is not the first time they've made some questionable moves at the deadline, whether it's buying or selling. But there's a lot to break down. We could we could sit here for the three hours that Larry and I did during leading up to the actual deadline and try and break this stuff down. Um, as wacky as these wild card races are, they're just going to get worse or, or wackier, I should say. Um, the Phillies got Noah Syndergaard. Unironically, there was a giant lightning strike behind center field the night he started. Um, you can't make that up. Nope. His nickname is Thor, by the way, because he looks like him. So if that yep. went over anybody's head, there you go. Um, the Angels were never really going to move Shohei Otani. No, I doubt it. Uh, that was never seriously considered. Anyone who thought it was is objectively wrong and doesn't know what they're talking about. How much longer is he under contract for? Until 2024, 25. But here, okay. here's the kicker. The Angels sold off Brandon Marsh to the Phillies and uh, Rysel Iglesias to the Braves. That was a good deal for the Braves. I'll get to the Braves in a second, too. But did you see what the Angels did yesterday, Christian? No, I did not. They hit seven solo home runs. Good Lord. And lost. Only in Anaheim. Oh, good Lord. Remember what I said a few weeks ago on the show about the Angels not having any pitching? <laughs> Case in point. They lost after hitting seven home runs against one of the five worst teams in baseball, the Oakland A's, in front of all 13 season ticket holders. Congratulations. Wow. Anyways. Yeah. All right. So, wild deadline, historic deadline. The Soto deal, it's a classic time will tell. Um, but you look at the Padres right now, they're probably the favorite in the National League. It's not just Soto and Bell. You throw them in there with Tatis and and Manny Machado. Will Myers is still there. Jerks and Profar. They got Brandon Drury from the Reds, who hit a grand slam his first at-bat. Um, they've still got good pitching. They've got you Darvish. Um those guys are loaded. They got to be the favorite in the NL right yeah. now. The Mets got better too. Mets added some good pieces as well. But um, one more thing before we get in a break here. Starting tonight, one third of the total World Series championships in Major League history will be on the same field at the same time. Cardinals and Yankees have won one third of the total World Series titles ever handed out. Uh, and they'll be playing three this weekend at Bush Stadium, of course. Yankees with 27, Cardinals with 11. That's one-third of the total. So, um, baseball royalty getting together for the first time in eight years um, tonight, starting in St. Louis. When we come back, um, Deshaun Watson, there's been some developments on that. But uh, more importantly, there was an actual football game played last night, number one. Number two... Two guys who should have been in the Hall of Fame 15 years ago are finally getting in, and we'll show you some of their stuff next. You are listening to The Score with Brett Wiseman on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. 
Sedgefield Lawn and Landscape Supplies, your one-stop shop for your lawn. Family-owned, serving customers residential or commercial. Check out our large selection of mulch, pine needles, sand, gravel, grass seed, fertilizer, herbicides. They even do propane fill-ups. And if you're looking for lawn care equipment, you won't find a better spot in the triad than Sedgefield Outdoor Equipment. Visit them today, 5111 Mackey Road in Jamestown, North Carolina. Give them a call at 336-292-6800 and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Walkertown Auto Sales. Look no further when shopping for your next vehicle. Located in the heart of the triad at 3076 Walkertown View Drive in Walkertown, Walkertown Auto Sales specializes in affordable and reliable used cars, trucks, and SUVs. They offer financing with good credit, bad credit, or no credit, with interest rates as low as 3.9%. With knowledgeable employees that are always willing to go the extra mile, you'll drive away with the car of your dreams at Walkertown Auto Sales. Check out the entire online inventory now at walkertownautosales.com. Welcome to J. Pepper's Southern Grill, locally owned and operated, serving the Kernsville community for over 10 years. Delicious homemade Southern food with a menu with a little something for everyone. With daily lunch and dinner specials, you can't go wrong choosing J. Pepper's, home of the nest with East Forsyth head coach Todd Willard every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. live during the season. Plus, Wine Wednesday with half-price wine all day and live music every Thursday night. Come join the fun at J. Pepper's Southern Grill, 841 Old Winston Road in Kernersville. Call in your order now at 336-497-4727. Hey, Pops, where you want to go eat tonight? I'm going to go get me some good Southern cooking at Ball Brothers down by the airport in Winston. No, Pops, it's Bell Brothers, and they closed years ago. It's Taste of the Triad now. Taste of the Triad? Is it in the old Ball Brothers building? Yep. Can I still get baked chicken and collard greens? Sure can. How about neck bones, meatloaf, and pork chops? Taste of the Triad has all that. So they ain't got pinto beans, tater salad, mac and cheese, or fried okra? Pops, they have all that, plus homemade cakes and cobblers and sweet potato pie. Well, then I don't care what they call it. Let's go eat. Taste of the Triad. Open daily for lunch with $5.99 specials from 11 to 2 and chef specials daily. Don't miss the Saturday brunch from 9 to 1 and the soulful Sunday dinner when you come out of church full of the word but hungry for Southern comfort food. Taste of the Triad in the old Bell Brothers building at Old Walkertown Road and North Liberty in Winston-Salem. That's good Southern cooking. Carolina Cobras. If I take that field, if I take that field, if my game starts to slide, if my game starts to slide, I have no fear, I have no fear. If my brother got my gun, my Catch them all season long. That's all we got. That's all we got. On your home for Triad Sports. Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com. Welcome back to the score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com. Straight from the NBA Live 07 soundtrack. Good stuff, Dad. I think. I don't know. I, I know that was one of one of Timbaland's songs was on the NBA Live 07 soundtrack. Yes, that's Nelly Furtado, promiscuous, featuring Timbaland. Yes. yes. And it did come Nelly out nice. Fr- Nelly Furtado. Trivia, who was on the cover of that game? What year? You said 07? NBA Live 07. Probably either Kobe or Steve Nash. Tony Parker. Wow. 
Oh, they just came off of uh, championship. They beat the One of the finals, yes. Yeah. But anyways, boring, neither here nor there. Most boring NBA final series possibly <laughs> ever. Let's see. We had LeBron and then uh, whatever guys he picked up from the local Cleveland uh, Boys and Girls Club. Booby Gibson, them, them fellas. Them, them fellas. The, yeah. They, yeah. They won 60 games. I remember that. But they just, yeah. <laughs> Ran to the Spurs. And that should have been a Detroit Eastern Conference pennant three-peat. But anyways, again, neither here nor there. Um, Deshaun Watson. Let's talk about that guy for a second. Or a few seconds. Because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Christian, we talked about this via text. This whole independent arbitrator thing that was agreed upon because the le- of the league's inconsistency with suspensions is the whole reason the independent arbitrator thing was put into the CBA. However, now, the first time it's used, the NFL acts like they shouldn't have used it to begin with. Yeah, that's, that's about right. I mean, they... Uh, I, this entire situation is, I can't use the exact words I use in the text message because we'll get fined. Um, but this entire situation is, is, I appreciate the, the restraint, Christian. That's good. That's good. This entire situation is for lack of, for lack of being able to use a better phrase. It's a mess. It, it's a, it's a cluster. Just stop yeah. there. Stop yeah. with cluster. It, yeah. It, it feels like the problem is that they're the, the, uh, the independent judge, or whoever Sue Suelle Robinson, it mm-hmm. feels like she's trying to use precedent for this one, but you can't use precedent for you this. Can't, this is the first time this has ever been used. Yeah, you almost have to like draw like a line, like a wall, and be like, okay, you have to create before. the precedent, Des. Right. Well, they messed up before. There was no right. reason to how they were doing these, and it feels like she's trying to use reason and apply it off of the things they didn't use reason for previously. Exactly. Which is how they got to six games where. Really, what she did was, it should have been like a like a twelve game suspension, and it would end up at six. But she put it at six, so it made it where she she skipped a step. Basically, what it right, did, which is what she was right. supposed to do. It's supposed to save everybody time, but right. The, the and it's supposed to get just six games ever. That was never going to happen. It's supposed to provide transparency on these things. The again, the whole idea was to provide transparency and consistency because. The players' union was not okay any longer with uh, Roger Goodell being judge, jury, and executioner. And what all we've heard for the past three days is, all right, Deshaun Watson gets six games for doing all the stuff he did, whether he did it or not. And Calvin Ridley got a year suspension for betting on a game he didn't even play in. So, it, it, I, I look, here's the point, and I'll get to Josh in a second. Here's the point. The one thing that a lot of general people, fans, don't know is that to violate the personal conduct policy, you don't have to be convicted of a crime. You don't have to have X amount of civil lawsuits. You don't have to be charged with anything. If you make the league look bad, that is the violation, period. 1A. If you make the NFL look bad, if you put the NFL in a bad light, that is a violation of the personal conduct policy. 
Deshaun Watson has made the league look bad. Calvin Ridley, by betting, made the league look bad. You don't have to actually do anything criminally wrong. Now, I'm not saying Deshaun Watson didn't do this because he hasn't been convicted of anything. We don't know. And I should also point out, and in a really, really disgusting twist of irony, the National Massage Therapist Association Conference, gentlemen, is taking place, wait for it, a mile away from the Cleveland Brown Stadium. I saw that. Do you think he, did they announce that before he signed with Cleveland? Or was that like recently? Like, was that already on the calendar? I, I saw, I, I don't know. I saw it pop up today and I was like, that's. That's just, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a disgusting twist of irony. But uh, Josh, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, Christian put it, I think the best way that you could put it, yeah, this whole situation is a mess. Um, how it How it started, where it is now and the repercussions of this uh of what's going on with deshaun watson i just find it ironic the i don't want to use inconsistency but i'll use inconsistency of the nfl when it comes it to these types of penalties calvin ridley you mentioned it he's, he's he's not playing this season because he bet on a game that uh, he, he did, did not play in that he did not play in josh gordon was suspended for over 25 games because he was smoking marijuana uh, Vontez Burfecht was was suspended for 12 games for targeting. DeAndre Hopkins, six games for PD. I mean, you know, where is the consistency here? And I feel like with what Deshaun did, I don't feel like six games is the right penalty. No. I, I, I thought no. there was going to be more. I thought there was going to be more games that he was going to be suspended for. Um, but – that's the big thing for me is where is the consistency with the National Football League, with Roger, Commissioner Goodell, all of the, 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 high up, the higher ups in the NFL? Where is the consistency here? you got to have a consistency when it comes to giving out uh, the severity uh, of penalties and, and, and the repercussions. Uh, they, they all need to have a firm, uh, you know, a, a firm base and a firm understanding. Okay, this is this is what you did, and this is the amount of games you're going to be suspended. This is the amount of time you're going to be suspended. It's just inconsistent all around, and I feel like the NFL could have done a better job in this situation uh, w- regarding Deshaun Watson as well. I would I would actually say to add on to what Josh is saying. I think that if they if the NFL decided to not appeal this, that would have been the start of consistency. Like the right. The independent council is supposed to be the beginning of, of consistency, but I think having a, a week for the media to stew on this, because literally every talking head is like, oh, that's not enough. It should be more. Right. It should be more. Like every, I've never, I haven't seen a single person say, well, all, all, all four of us knew that wasn't going to be the final number, right? But it should be based off of her decision, right? Exactly. People just can't help themselves and they're going off of the wave of media coverage where they want more. And even so, the Browns thought it was going to be more than this because they're only paying them a million dollars for this first year. They knew they, it was going to be a they, season. That didn't come out until very recently that th- it was built into the contract that they assumed he was pretty much not going to play any if at all. No, that was out That was out when they signed him because we talked about it on uh, on. That's Monday. right, we did. Because yeah. we were looking at it like, oh, so wait a minute. The Browns are only going to give him a million-dollar base salary for this year and then the rest of it's going to be guaranteed after? That sounds like the Browns don't expect him to play this year, like at all. So well, remember, the NFL was pushing for an indefinite suspension that would be no less than a year. Right. But the idea here was again, 
the the players union was not okay with Roger Goodell being judge, jury, and executioner. That's why you bring in the independent arbitrator, Sue L. Robinson. But in my mind, I knew whatever number she came up with was not going to be the final number because I knew what Roger Goodell was going to do. I knew what was built in Roger Goodell having the power to do. This really changes nothing. Roger Goodell could make it more, he could make it less, he could make it null, he could make it two full seasons. Now he has the power again. So my question is, why use the independent third-party arbitrator if you were just going to appeal it regardless of what she said? I don't know if it was regardless of what she said. If she had said 12 games or you know, the full season, I don't think. Uh, if, it, regardless of what she, if it wasn't what the NFL wanted, if it wasn't the indefinite uh, suspension that the NFL wanted, they were going to appeal it. Yeah, they were going to appeal And the Players Association kind of messed up by saying they weren't going to appeal it, but they were fun because it sounds like the, the NFLPA just wants it to be done. Right. But now they're in a situation where they're going to have to fight for Deshaun when they did not want to. And right. to be honest, if the, if the independent council had just said six games plus like, like $3 million or something like that. Cause she put no monetary fine on this. And I think right. that's the main thing the NFL wants. Then that would have, the hurt. NFL wants a substantial fine on yeah. top of the indefinite suspension, but so. she didn't put anything on there. So th that she left the, she left the bed unmade for the NFL when she was hired to actually make the bed. And now you've got Roger Goodell back in the same position he was in before where he's having to be the jury and the judge for, you know, 32 NFL owners that pay him to to work for them, but he's supposed to govern them. Like, it doesn't make any sense, like, the dynamic between the NFL commissioner and the owners. Christian? Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about this entire thing is, uh, I'm just, the, the word inconsistency sums up this entire thing and kind of redundancy at, at, to some to some extent too, but I mean, if he's going to go, I think they might, if they're going to appeal this and it ends up in a courtroom, which I read somewhere or read something from ESPN that it might end up in a courtroom, which would not surprise me at all, given the severity of what he supposedly did. I don't see how the NFL, like Roger Goodell or whoever's representing the NFL gets what they want if if, if they want an indefinite suspension, I don't see how they get that if the arbiter just started just six games. Right. That, that to me, that I don't see how it's going to be could, hard to move it up that yeah, far. Exactly. Yeah. I could see maybe or he, he, even a minimum, even a full season, it's going to be yeah. hard to move it up to 16, 18 games, 16, 17 games with no yeah. guilty counts or anything of the sort. Yeah. And he's settled with all of them, but like two, I believe. I think, I think 23 and 24 have been settled, was yeah. the last my count. But well, what's the right number? What's the magic number? Like, what would have been the number that would have satisfied all part? Well, there would have been a number to satisfy. I mean, Deshaun Watson's camp still saying six is too many. But yeah, what would have been the number to satisfy the media? I guess is the best question to ask. No, idea. no, num no number? Indefinite? Indefinite just seems so... Fake. Like, you're cutting down a top five quarterback in his prime. Yes, I understand the allegation, but you have to look at... Well, that, that, too. Like, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. The media perspective is... The allegations. They're looking at the heinousness and the yeah. seriousness of them. And 
I, w- I would have pushed for what the NFL pushed for, which was one season, but no, they yes. said no less than one season. So already sat because season. you set a precedent, not that Calvin, what Calvin Ridley did is anything close to what Deshaun Watson supposedly did, but you set that precedent. He already sat a season though. He sat last year. So really he'd be sitting two seasons, right? If you did it again for this year, he hasn't played since January of 2021, I believe. There's as bluntly as I can put it. That's not my problem because if he did what he did, he chose to do it, but we don't know if he did it. That's the, that's my point. Like we that's can't the other thing, not knowing for that's sure. That's the double edged sword of all of this. Right yeah. now, if there's smoke, there's fire usually. So, I mean, right. we all can assume what we want, but we can't punish him off assumptions. So, right. I don't know. It's I'm, I'm very happy that Carolina dodged his bullet because Carolina was next in line to go get him. And just through being fiscally responsible, uh, they turned it down because apparently Watson's camp came to them with this fully guaranteed mess first and rule and Tepper looked at it and were like, nah, we don't want to guarantee you for five years. And then the Browns who were out of the sweepstakes to begin with caught whiff of it and called the Watson camp and was like, yo, we'll do it. Come to Cleveland. And that's how he became a Cleveland Brown. It wasn't by choice. It was because they're the only team that would guarantee a quarter of a billion dollars. And piggybacking off of that, Desmond, you know, why? I'm asking the Cleveland Browns, why, why would you do this? Why would you guarantee somebody who is in the middle of a criminal investigation, $230 million over four or five years when you don't even know if he's going to play the entire first season. And (laughs) right. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense to me. And on top of that, you get rid of your starting quarterback to begin with in Baker Mayfield for less to nothing. And now it doesn't look like, Deshaun's going to play at least six games, maybe more if the NFL's appeal goes through. Jacoby Brissett is going to be your starter for at least half the season, potentially. I mean, that just now, doesn't Sean make Watson's sense. Deshaun Watson's not playing against Carolina, that? period. Actually, He's not. He, could, and, and, he could play against Carolina. What Christian was saying earlier, if Deshaun Watson... If it carries out in the court, sue, yeah. Yeah, they sue them, they take up the federal court. Deshaun Watson's eligible to play until that's uh, settled. And actually, the case that you can look at is Ezekiel Elliott. The same thing right. happened to him. He he challenged it. He was available for week one. It wasn't settled until like October of that year. He started the first week of suspension, week 10. So yeah. in theory, if Deshaun Watson wants to play and the NFL does this, he can he can appeal whatever decision Goodell makes, and it'll drag in federal court almost through the whole season. So you could theoretically see Deshaun Watson versus Baker Mayfield week one, Cleveland versus Carolina at Bank of America Stadium. Uh, on September the 11th, and I'm well, sorry. Right, and if he chooses to, if and if that actually happens, I mean, we, we do know for one thing that he's going to appeal it. I think Deshaun Watson will appeal this, and he's no going to fight for, for the not guilty plea. So, because he uh, is, yeah. unlike what Brown's ownership has said, which was that he is remorseful, um, he's steadfast that he's done nothing wrong, period. Right. What's your, what you're remorseful about if you did nothing wrong? See, there, exactly. That's like, why are you so remorseful if you did nothing? Well, he's not. That's what the the statement from ownership is so contradictory. Yeah. The statement from ownership said Deshaun is remorseful for the the trouble and the you know badness and bad vibes and all of this. No, he's not. You know what you did. <laughs> you know he what knows you did. what he he knows <laughs> what he did. He knows yeah. he's getting away with it. You got caught. You got coddled by the Texans for so long that it sounded like it was normal to you, and now you realize it's not normal. And you got sent to Cleveland for your efforts. Like, 
we're we're leaving we're leaving out the main story here that he chose to go to Cleveland. Like that should tell everyone <laughs> like where the situation was. He he decided on his own volition to go to the Cleveland Browns and play for this franchise. Cleveland's doing what Cleveland does. Like they are finding a way to mess this up. That's it. That's all. That's the end of the. That's pretty much it. Yeah, you summed it up perfectly, Des. I mean, I couldn't. I mean, couldn't put it any any better than you just put it. So, <laughs> I expected this to happen. Didn't know it was going to be this explosive because it's Cleveland, but it's not going to end well. Nope. Nope. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, we got you. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Something was wrong. We're wrong with my mic there. It's been weird today. Anyways, uh, Josh, the patriarch, I guess you could call him, of the Carolina Panthers. And someone else are both headed to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Should have been long before that. Yes, that would be Sam Mills, the creator of the Keep Pounding speech. Um, One of the greatest Carolina Panthers, if not the greatest Carolina Panther of all time. Um, The original great Carolina Panther was on that um, sophomore campaign team, the first in the stadium. With uh, that ended up losing to Green Bay in that NFC Championship game. You had Sam Mills, Kevin Green, Kerry Collins. Dez has got a clip from that divisional playoff game where um, people forget this. Uh, the the moment that the Cowboys' success in the postseason died was when Sam Mills picked off this football from Troy Aikman that Dez is going to pull up here in a second. The defense also had its day with four sacks, four turnovers, and a playful romp to the end zone by 37-year-old Sam Mills. Five touchdown! Sam Mills scores! I still remember that like it was yesterday. I was a Cowboy fan, too. I was transitioning. I was transitioning. Because I didn't have home. So it was right. like, once, once we got the Panthers... My fandom for the Cowboys just left. And then, of course, you know, a year later, they're playing the Cowboys in the playoffs. So you're still seeing remnants of those great early 90s Cowboys teams. But you're right. That was pretty much the end. Carolina kind of ended that dynasty with that playoff win. And I know we don't have this clip, but Bill Romanowski, uh, longtime voice of the Panthers before Mick Mixon, uh, radio voice said, the king is dead. The king is dead. The Panthers have won. The King was dead long after that, too. So, thank you. 1996 Carolina Panthers to my little Jimmy Fallon. Thank you, nothing there. Uh, Anyways, there would not be a Lambeau leap. There would not be a thing if it were not for the other main inductee this weekend, Desmond. Corner and safety blitzes like this one by Leroy Butler were too much for Dave Maggot and the Patriots to handle. Quick drop straight back here. They come after him and they got a hand on it. Down he goes. Butler. Butler from the right side. Maggot picked him up. Leroy just physically whooped him. He ran right over a guy trying to block him. Oh, the inventor of the Lambeau leap, which should not have even counted as a play because Reggie White was tackled and down for like seven sustained seconds before he lateraled it to Leroy Butler. But yes, Leroy Butler picked up that football. There was no instant replay in 1992, okay? We're good. Just move on. You're you're I, a Packer fan. You're not supposed to say these kind of things. You're, you're supposed to... I'm, what? <laughs> what are you doing? You're not supposed to admit. It, every wrong. Packers fan knows that Reggie 
what? But they don't was speak that? it out loud. They don't no. go around talking about, hey, you remember that Anyways, time? Anyways, the, the, the clip you just played, Des, <laughs> this is why Leroy Butler, and we'll get to why Sam Mills is a Hall of Famer in a second. I'll let Josh speak to that. Here's why Leroy Butler is a Hall of Famer and should have been for a long time. He's top five all time in, in, in sacks by safeties. What Fritz Shermer and Mike Holmgren's staff did with Leroy Butler in the 90s on the Green Bay Packers as a blitzing safety was simply genius. There were not a whole lot of teams that had utilized someone like that before. Um, he came out of Florida State. He was picking off passes left and right. Fritz Shermer came in as the D.C. in 1995 and said, um, I got an idea. That sack, like if, if anyone knows what I'm talking about with Dave Meggett, Dave Meggett was like one of the 10 shortest people in the history of the NFL. Like he was what, maybe Des, what, like 5'9", 190 pounds soaking wet? Yeah, yeah. I mean. He got left to block Leroy Butler on Drew Bledsoe's blind side twice. Leroy Butler basically picked him up and threw him aside like a rag doll. That changed the course of that Super Bowl. Drew Bledsoe was having his way. The Patriots were winning 10-7 in that game and marching down the field. They blitzed Leroy Butler twice from both sides of the line, once at Bledsoe's face, the other blindsided when he picked up Dave Meggett and basically tackled both of them at the same time. Leroy Butler's versatility as a safety, both in stopping the run in rushing the quarterback, in making plays in the secondary. Leroy Butler was someone that flew around the field. What a lot of safeties do now greatly, guys like Troy Polamalu, Ed Reed, Brian Dawkins, guys of our era, good say Bob Sanders, safeties of our era that we've seen do that, Tyron Matthew. Leroy Butler was one of the first guys that really made that a thing. That made it possible for a safety, Harrison Smith, really, to basically play safety, linebacker, and defensive end all in one guy. And that's why, aside from inventing the Lambeau leap, for God's sake, I mean, come on. He's got a statue of him leaping outside of Lambeau, but he's there. Um, Sam Mills also has a statue. Um, Dez, excuse, excuse me, Josh, um, this is the first real Panther legend I guess you could say so to speak. Um, that's ending up in the Hall of Fame. Now, granted, the end of his career was with Carolina. Um, he was picked in the expansion draft. He was part of uh, a Saints defense in the early 90s that was known as the Dome Patrol. Um, that's one of the most oft-forgotten um, great defenses of its time. Very but creative he came, name too, by the way. He came to Carolina and set a tone, set a mindset, and set a slogan. A slogan that has lasted for over 25 years. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's no, there's no, you know, long soliloquy I have for Sam Mills. I mean, he's, he just was that guy. I mean, he was an inspiring individual. He played well on the field. He fought hard off the field with his battle and uh, that he unfortunately lost to with cancer. But, you know, in that fight, you saw him on the sidelines cheering on his teammates. You saw him, you know, getting his teammates riled up on the sidelines and, and 
just being that guy, that encouraging teammate, you know, when he couldn't be on the field with the rest of his team, even though he wanted to be, um, he just kept pounding, you know, that's as the slogan says, he just kept pounding and this is so well-deserved. And, you know, you, you mentioned him being the first real Panther. I mean, Kevin Green played his final season in the NFL with the Panthers, but Sam Mills is the first in my mind, first legit Carolina Panther to be in the, in the pro football hall of fame. And I could not be more excited. I could not be more thrilled and I could not be more uh, elated for someone like Sam Mills uh, to finally be put enshrined in the hall of fame. Uh, It's been a long time coming for sure. Two, two real quick things with, uh, with Sam, he got that statue the year after he retired. So it wasn't like there was a long wait or anything. They no, brought right. the statue up almost He was also inducted into the Carolina Panthers Hall of Honor. He's the, the first. Ring of Honor, yeah. He was the first, yes. right. He only played three years here, but in those three years, he led the franchise to its first NFC championship appearance against Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. Um, their first playoff appearance, first division championship. And uh, in 2021, at the start of the season here, owner David Tepperett made the decision to – to not use the the slogan keep pounding uh on the scoreboards and there was a huge swell online where basically panther fans had to beg david tepper please don't take this away from us and the very next week it was back and it's been back ever since and uh just between that the pounding of the drum at the beginning of the game all these things that have become panther rituals they start with sam mills um and it's fitting that he's getting in on the last year of eligibility uh, for him because he's mm-hmm. the ultimate underdog um low man wins like that's the definition of sam mills pretty much so uh as a panther fan as someone that does a lot of stuff for the panthers i'm super happy for the franchise that they're finally getting their first hall of fame person into the hall and that it's sam mills yeah and the next guy that i cannot wait to see in the hall of fame is i know he will be in there one day as a panther uh, a guy named steve smith senior smitty uh, he needs to be in the hall of fame he will be in the hall of fame and i hope that's very soon it's actually it might be a wait. There's a glut of wide receivers in front of him. Yeah, like Wayne, Trey Johnson. Like there's a lot of dudes. We're still waiting on Tory Holt, aren't we? Tory Holt as well. Too. Yes. Yeah. There's a huge, huge, huge uh, glut of wide receivers in front of Steve. But I think he's top ten all, all time in yards and some other stuff. Yep. So he'll eventually get in. I think the next triple crown game, winner as well. Last triple crown. Right I don't think anybody's won it since then. That was 05. Uh Cooper so, Cup came close, but I don't know if he got yeah. it or not. I could be wrong, but. The, the one that should get in next, it won't be next year, but the year after, should be Julius Peppers. And he'll probably first yes. ballot. Uh, he'll, Peppers he'll Packers well, yes. legend. Yeah, top five in sacks. Uh, Packers legend. Star yeah. Packers weren't the team that drafted him, Brett. They were not the team star, that drafted star him. Of, uh, star of the, of the, North either. Star of the 2001 North Carolina Tar Heels basketball team, Julius Peppers. Um, yeah, people, for, we're going to push the App State UNC QB thing back to, to next week because this is this is too much fun. I like reminiscing. I like being a nerd. Um, Me too. Yeah. Julius Peppers did play basketball at the University of North Carolina. But again, that's neither here nor there. Um, Sam Mills, as we said, guys, and I, I don't know who's presenting him uh, posthumously at, in Canton on Saturday, um, but I know whoever it is is going to do a fantastic job and is going to do him justice. Um, Des, I don't know if you have the first clip we played was actually from a game against the Houston Oilers in the Astrodome. Um, that was not the interception clip, but you said low man wins guys. It, people forget Sam Mills was what? He was what, like five ten. Like he was very under, maybe very, <laughs> very undersized. 
especially when we look at linebackers now who are really no shorter than 6'3", 6'4". Sam Mills was very much behind the times, but simply outworked everybody else. You would look at him as a physical specimen, even at 37, and say, there's no way. There's no way he pulls this. There's no way he tackles me. There's no way he picks off this pass. Lomond, he picks off the supposed best quarterback in football, not named Brett Favre, to clinch a playoff game. By Aikman, back to pass from his own seven. Puts it up down the middle of the field. Intercepted by Sam Mills. He was going to take a knee and keeps going to the 10. Mills to the 5. Still going towards the end zone. Oh, yeah, the one. He got to the 1 yard line. <laughs> Sam Mills with the icing on the cake. That was such a fun game to watch, too. Almost made it to the end zone. Almost. Almost. Yeah. That team was Well, nuts. everybody thought he was going to. I know we don't have the video. Troy Aikman threw it right to him as if he was trying to throw it at Sam Mills. It's also how good Dom Capers' defense was, but, you know. Sam knew where it was going. Like, he, he knew yeah. how to read it. Um, yeah, that, that defense on that 96 Panther team got to be up there with uh, 03 and 2015 in terms of best in franchise history with Lamar Latham and Kevin, Kevin Green, Green. And Sam Mills in the middle, uh, Tyrone Poole in the back. I mean, like they, they were legit just, a, you know, just a full year into it. It was just fun to be a Panther fan and, and not have to wait the, you know, five years or whatever to build something. They did it in like 18 months. It was nuts, but uh, fell short to your Packers. Uh, speaking of Leroy Butler's head coach, Mike Holmgren, uh, is a final or semifinalist for next year. Uh, Des, the clip you pulled up was from that Super Bowl. Uh, if you could pull up the Lambeau Leap invention, uh, that will almost certainly be discussed by, uh, Leroy, whose Twitter handle, by the way, is Leap36, because what else would it be? Corner and safety blitzes like this That's one still by the Super Leroy Bowl Butler. Clip. Hmm. Although it's I love hearing Harry Callis' voice. Conventional pass rush had failed miserably. That's still so the Super Bowl. Those are the ones that you sent me, so. Okay, never mind. I, I, I must have screwed that up. Anyways, never a bad time to hear NFL Films narration. But what happened was. We need to give credit to NFL Films for use of the audio, too. That's something else that we have to do when we're using clips. Yeah, we so. have to do that. Um, Harry Callis, RIP. Um, thank you, Harry, Earl Mann, uh, two great narrators, and uh, NFL Films. Rest in power, Steve Sable. But, yeah. Um. Leroy, I think I've clamored for him to get in the Hall of Fame even before Brett Favre was eligible. Um, and finally, Leroy Butler has his rightful place. He's top 10 in pretty much every important safety category ever. Sam Mills, for you younger Panther fans out there, he was the original Panther. There were, you would not be wearing keep pounding gear if it were not for Sam Mills. And if you do not wear, if you do not watch, his induction tomorrow night. I have questions. For Desmond Johnson, Josh Scott, Christian Emery, we Lambo leap into the weekend and the NFL preseason, which starts in six days. Football! We'll see you next week. Good night, Canada.